I'm going to be honest with you. My whole introduction this morning was predicated on the screen, okay? I had a couple of funny pictures I was going to show you, so that didn't work out. I'm going to do my best to describe them to you. And the good news is, this is going to be the easiest picture in your mind you've ever had. I'm going to have no trouble with this whatsoever. Because what I did this week was, I did a Google image search for Canadian stereotypes, See, I told you, you already know. I mean, I don't even have to put it on the screen. You know that the number one result was a cartoon of a Canadian wearing a Mountie jacket, riding a polar bear. The polar bear had a big thing of maple syrup slung around its neck. Yep. The, uh, the Canadian on top of the polar bear was saying, sorry, I don't know to who, to the bear, I don't know. They were clearly leaving their igloo home in this cartoon, and there was a sign, the only sign to be seen anywhere on the tundra in this picture, and it said, Tim Hortons, that way. And sure enough, that's the direction they were headed. That's it. Those are the Canadian stereotypes. Now, I also went through, and I did a Google image search for American stereotypes, and you can probably imagine what I came up with. The number one result for American stereotypes on Google Images is another cartoon. And it's a picture of a very large person sitting on a rascal scooter. You know what I'm talking about? Like the ones that you ride at Walmart, you know? They had a basket on the front of their rascal, and it was full of Walmart bags. They were wearing an American flag T-shirt. They were wearing a trucker ball cap with a bald eagle on top of it, you know, just looking all aggressive and American. The uh, Rascal Scooter, probably the most interesting thing about the picture was that it had a giant Gatling gun that was welded to the front. And like this guy was riding his hover around and he's like, now if you say to yourself, how did you know that was a Gatling gun, Dan? I'm American, okay? That's what we learn in grade six in the US, okay? Oh, that's a Gatling gun. So that was it. Canadian stereotypes, American stereotypes. I'm so sad I didn't have those pictures. Maybe I'll show them to you at some point in the future. They were absolutely hilarious. Now, stereotypes aside, we could probably agree on what it means to be a Canadian, right? I mean, like, we get the general definition. There might be a few things that we would disagree on, or we might say it means this or that. But in general, a Canadian is someone who's from Canada. Simple enough. We would agree on what it means to be an American, right? There might be a few things that we would say this or that, a few tweaks or nuances or whatever it might be. But in the end, we would say an American is somebody from America. There would be a consensus on what those words mean. We would agree on what a comedian is. We would agree on what a politician is. We would agree on what a penguin is. We could all say, yep, I can define those words pretty easily. And my definition is going to be the same or the general definition that most people in our world use. Those are all simple words to define. But what if I give you another word? What if I give you the word Christian? And I said, define Christian for me. Do you know that we would have an incredibly difficult time coming to a consensus of what the word Christian actually means and doesn't mean? If you were to go out on the streets here in our city and you just ask random people downtown, hey, tell me, what do you think a Christian is? Or what comes to mind when you hear the word Christian? You would get, if you asked 10 people, probably five, six, eight different answers, wouldn't you? 
Some people would say, oh, I know what a Christian is. It's somebody who's baptized. That's a Christian. I was baptized when I was a baby. Therefore, I am a Christian. No, it's somebody who goes through a confirmation class when they're young. I did that, so now I'm a Christian. No, no, no. A Christian is somebody who goes to church. That's kind of like a key prerequisite, maybe even the big part of it. You go to church, or it's somebody who gives, or it's somebody who is baptized. You might say, oh, I think Christians are like judgmental homophobes. You would get a ton of different answers on what a Christian could possibly mean in our world. Nearly everybody you ask would give you a different answer, a different definition for what is a very simple word and honestly a word that's used quite commonly in our world. Jeff Bezos, who's the founder of Amazon, he said something one time that's so profound, it's like made its way into like business lingo. People quote this all the time in business books and podcasts and teachings and all those things. He says this, brand, your brand, talking about companies, your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. So marketing is what you tell people about yourself, but brand is what they say about you. Now, if that's true, the Christian brand has fallen on hard times. And part of the reason the Christian brand has fallen on hard times is because so many people don't really even know what the word Christian means. There's confusion about it in our world. And it doesn't get any better when you ask people inside of the church, what does the word Christian mean? You'll get a whole bunch of different answers, sometimes answers that are completely contradictory to one another. So you talk to one Christian, you say, what does it mean to be a Christian? And they'll say to you, well, it means you have to be a good person. And then you talk to another Christian and they'll say, no, if you want to be a Christian, you have to admit that you're not a good person. Well, which is it, guys? Make up your minds. They're mutually exclusive. One and the other don't go together. Either you have to prove that you're a good person or you have to admit that you're a bad person. It can't be both. You can ask people, you know, like, what does it mean to be a Christian? Some people will tell you, oh, well, it's really important what church you go to. You know, you got to find the right church, good Bible-based church, teaching the scriptures, lifting up Jesus. And then you go to other people who also say they're Christians, and you say, what does it mean to be a Christian? And they'll say, you know, church really isn't that important. You don't really need it in order to be a Christian. Wow. You'll get all these different answers. It's like you'll talk to one Christian, and they'll say, Christianity is A and B, but it's never C and D. And then you chat with another Christian and they're like, Christianity is always C and D and it's never A and B. And you're like, forget it. I mean, no wonder there's so much confusion about what it means to be a Christian. And then you get into this really weird thing, and this is our fault as Christians, where we don't just talk about the word Christian as a noun in that I am a Christian. She is not a Christian, right? That's a noun. We talk about Christian as an adjective. And so we use it to describe things in our world. So we'll talk about Christian music. And we'll talk about Christian values. And we'll talk about Christian nations and Christian wars and Christian dating sites. And it goes on and on and on. And you're like, I don't even know. Is the word a noun? Is it an adjective? Is it someone something? Or does it describe someone or something? Who knows? There's so much confusion around the word Christian that I am honestly not surprised that so many of you refuse to take that label for yourself. I'm really not. Because you say, look, if Christian means this, then I'm all in. I mean, that's wonderful. That's beautiful. That's something I can get behind. But if Christian means that, then I want nothing to do with it. 
And those of you guys that do claim the label Christian for yourself, you always feel the need to qualify it, don't you? You tell people, yeah, I'm a Christian, but then you're like, but I'm not like those Christians. I'm like these Christians over here. It's like the word is so slippery. Arguably, the the word Christian is the slipperiest word in the English language, not because it's so hard to define, but because it's so easy to define any way we want to. See, you can claim anything is the Christian thing, You can claim this response or this protest or this belief or this whatever. You can claim that's the Christian one. And it's very difficult to argue against. Do you know why? The reason why is fascinating, you guys. And I believe it has the power to change everything in your relationship with God. The reason why the word Christian is so slippery and rubbery and hard to define. The reason why those of us who typically have that label feel the need to qualify and those who don't have the the label feel the need to say, no, not me, I would never be one of those people. The reason why is because the word Christian is only found three times in the Bible. Wait, what? I thought the Bible was all about being a Christian. That was the whole point, right? It's supposed to teach you how to be a Christian. And yet the word Christian only appears three times in the entire Bible. And then on top of that, the word Christian is never defined in the Bible. So... Because it's a word that gets used often, but it doesn't have a really strong definition in the scripture. We're going to talk about why that is here in just a sec. People feel free to define it any which way they want. And it causes confusion. It causes heartache. It causes heartbreak. Now, we started talking last week in this Follow Me series. Look at these lovely graphics we have for you this morning. We started, we started this Follow Me series. And uh, one of the things we told you last week is that, believe it or not, this is something so many people get confused on. Jesus did not come to start a religion. He didn't come to start a religion. He was Jewish. He was the promised Jewish Messiah. And so he, uh, he came as the fulfillment of the Jewish religion. That's why we share the Old Testament with them. If you ask a Jewish friend, what do you believe about the Bible? They're going to say, we believe these books in the Old Testament are the Bible. And we believe they're the Bible, but we also include the New Testament, the stories and teachings about Jesus and his apostles. And so Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. Jesus never came to invite people to become Christians. He never came to invite you or me to become Christians. That's not how the word is used in the Bible. Let me show you how it is used, and then let me show you why it's important, all right? I'm going to show you the first time the word Christian ever appears in the Bible, and you're going to see why it's not a name that uh, comes up very often. So we're going to be in Acts chapter number 11. Normally, we have the verses on the screen. Today, we don't, so you're just going to have to listen in. I hope I remember my references this morning. Yeah, because normally they're right there on the screen. If I forget, I'm like, it's Acts 11, what? Right there. All right, Acts chapter number 11. Okay, we're going to start in verse number 19. I want you to listen closely, okay? Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with the stoning of Stephen. Well, that brings us back two weeks ago, doesn't it? 
Two weeks ago, we talked about Stephen, how he was the first Christian who was killed for his faith. And after a guy named Saul commanded Stephen's execution, there was a persecution that broke out against lots of of followers of Jesus, okay? So all of them began to suffer. This is really early on. This is just a couple of months after Jesus has been crucified and then resurrected. So this is way early in the church's history. So uh, now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as the regions of Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. So remember, this was a Jewish religion that Jesus came to to propagate, to, to teach about. And so they went on telling other Jews. They didn't tell people outside of the Jewish faith about it. They talked and shared the message only with Jews. Verse 20, some of them, however, went to Antioch, which was a major city. And they began to speak to Greeks, that is, non-Jewish people, like me and you, people who are not Jewish. They began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Bible says in verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And so they sent out Barnabas to Antioch. Barnabas was one of the original church leaders. They sent him to Antioch. And when he arrived, and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad, and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their heart. The Bible says about Barnabas, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to the city of Tarsus to look for Saul. Wait a sec. The same Saul who had just commanded Stephen to be executed in Acts 9? Yep. You read Acts 10, and he has a ridiculous conversion experience. The chief persecutor of the early Christian church is completely overwhelmed and overcome when he comes into contact with the truth of Jesus. His life is radically flipped upside down and he becomes the greatest missionary and church planter in uh, Christian history. There we go, I use it as an adjective, Christian history, right? So this Barnabas and this Saul, they go to Antioch, which was not a Jewish city. It was a big giant port city. There were lots of beliefs, lots of religions, lots of ethnicities, lots of backgrounds. And the Bible says for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Now I want you to pay special attention to this last word, this last sentence here. The Bible says the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. That's the first time there's all this other Bible. You know, this is the the before part. There's all that other Bible in there. And at no point in history was anybody called a Christian before Acts chapter number 11, verse number 26. This was like quite a long time after Jesus had uh, started teaching and preaching. And then it wasn't until decades later that the Christian church began to adopt that name for themselves because here's what's going on. When you read through this in context, you find out that it's not the Christians in Antioch, and I'm I'm using that word, so say with me, the followers of Jesus in Antioch are like, hey, we really need to come up with a name for ourselves. You know, like you're a band and you're trying to come up with a cool name for the band. They're like, man, we got to come up with something really rad. And they're like, what about Christians? You know, so metal. All right. No, that's not what's going on. That's not what's happening. The disciples... The followers of Jesus did not call themselves Christians. If you read this, if you read Roman and Jewish history, what you find out is the Christian label was first applied to followers of Jesus by those outside of the faith. See, the word Christian means belonging to Christ 
Or another way to translate it might mean like little Christ, like follower, servant, slave of Christ. Now, I want you to get this. They are in a pluralistic culture. Most of it was Roman religion. And so they believed in the Roman gods like Jupiter and Mars and Saturn and Neptune. They would pray. They would go to temples. They believed these gods fought with each other. And that was the reason that all this stuff happened in the earth. And then along comes this band of weirdo Jews. And they start telling these Romans, hey, guys, guess what? There aren't 36 gods. There's only one. And he doesn't, these gods, this God, he doesn't reveal himself through these messengers like you guys always have. You know, the gods would come to earth and they would do epic things and we would get these epic myths and legends and all that. He said, that's not how it was. The way that God revealed himself was through a Jewish carpenter who became a rabbi, that is a religious teacher who was eventually put to death. And the, the Romans are like, wait, 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 wait. Come on, guys, seriously? You're following a dead Jewish carpenter? You see how dumb that is, right? Like, that doesn't make any sense at all. He's dead. Who follows somebody who's dead? Who follows a carpenter? Who follows a Jew? I mean, like, seriously, the Romans would have had none of that. And then they would have said, you know, this Jewish carpenter you follow, he was actually put to death by the Roman government for treason. And you guys, because you're his followers, you're marked for death just like he was. And so they use this word Christian not as a name, not as a description, but always as an insult. Said, you guys are Christians. (laughs) Christians. Can you believe what they believe? So dumb. Let's go to the temple. All right. They called them Christians. Christians. Notice what it says here in Acts chapter number 11. They were called Christians first there in Antioch. They didn't call themselves. They were called Christians. Now, this is good news, you guys. This is good news because it means it's entirely possible for you to follow Jesus and not use the label Christian at all if it really bothers you. You can say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not a Christian because there are some Christians that I don't want to be anything like. And because that word is never defined, because it's only used like this, where outsiders gave it as a description of people who were inside of the faith, then we don't have to use it if it's a word that causes difficulty. Now, I'm not going to say at any point during this message, all right, from now on, you should not call yourselves Christians. You should call yourselves disciples. Call yourself whatever you want. I really don't care. I'm just giving you permission That if that word is where you're hung up, if that word is what gives you problem, if you see the way that that word is defined and redefined and misdefined in our world, and you say, I don't want any part of that, then you don't have to have any part of that. Because Jesus didn't come to invite you to be a Christian. He came to invite you to be something much scarier. You see, Jesus didn't use the word Christian for any of his followers. And Jesus never defined the word Christian. It didn't even exist when Jesus was around. It came along much, much later. But Jesus did use a word to describe those of us who want to follow after him. And this word is terrifying. And the reason it's terrifying is because this word is actually defined in the Bible. 
You see, you can call yourself a Christian and do anything under the sun and you will be able to convince somebody that you're doing and saying and thinking the Christian thing. But if you take this label on yourself, then you don't have that freedom anymore. But this is what Jesus came to invite you to. And this is what has the power to transform your life. So the word is actually found right there in Acts chapter number 11, verse 26. Did you see it? It said the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. That word disciple appears a lot in the Bible. Christian only appears three times. The word disciple appears 300 times. This is the word that Jesus used to describe people who want to follow after him. This is the word the early church used to describe themselves. This is the preferred word for somebody who is actually following after Jesus because it is well-defined. So that word disciple, it literally means learner or follower or apprentice. Apprentice is probably the best definition. You know what an apprentice is, right? An apprentice is somebody who comes alongside of a master and stays with that master for quite a while so they can observe how the master thinks and speaks and acts. And then the apprentice says, I'm going to do what you do. We see this in our world if you're a tradesman, like if you work as an electrician in the construction business, plumbing, any sort of trade, you will find apprenticeship programs because it's not enough in those areas to simply read some textbooks and then think you can go wire a building. You will kill yourself. You've got to have somebody who is seasoned, experienced, mature, somebody who is a master who can show you what it is that you should be doing. That is exactly what it means to follow Jesus, to go to him and to say, all right, Jesus, I want to learn from you. I want to say what you would say. I want to think what you would think. I want to do what you would do. I don't want to say the Christian thing. Not interested in that. I don't want to think Christian thoughts. I don't want to do Christian good deeds. I don't think that has the power to transform anything. In fact, we've seen centuries where people have tried to do the Christian thing and it hasn't resulted in any change at all in our world. In fact, you could argue it's gotten worse in some cases. But if we commit to doing what a disciple does, if we live as disciples, followers, learners, apprentices of Jesus, then I believe that has the power to change things. Now, I told you Jesus never defined the word disciple. I mean, rather, he never defined the word Christian, but he did define the word disciple. It is defined in the Bible. And so we're gonna go to the book of John and I'm gonna show you exactly what he means. Now, I'm gonna be real upfront with you. I'm gonna edit this out of the podcast, by the way. This verse, I don't remember off the top of my head. So we're gonna try to find it real quick. I normally have my notes. John chapter number 13, and I believe it's verse 33. Oh, nailed it. Boom. No, stop. Don't you applaud for that? That's so embarrassing. They're going to revoke my credentials, you guys. They're going to be like, come on, bro. You can't remember two Bible passages on Sunday morning. We got it, though. All right. Yes, we'll edit all that. Yep. And scene. Okay. John chapter number 13. Jesus is still alive. He's traveling around the countryside with his disciples. He is allowing them to be apprentices. 
says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. So he's saying to them, guys, this is it. These are my final hours. This is my last little bit of time with you. So I want you to lean in close because this is my final teaching. On your deathbed, you tend to say what's most important, right? The things that matter. I love you, sweetie. So glad I was married to you. Or, hey, don't forget to shut the back gate. Whatever it is, it's important. (laughs) And Jesus leans the disciples in here. And and he says to him, guys, pay close attention because this next part matters. He says in verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are Christians. Nope, he doesn't use that word. By this, all men will know that you're religious. By this, all men will know that you believe in God. By this, all men will know that you go to church. He says, a new command I give you, that you love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, my learners, my apprentices. You are a Jesus person. This is the way the world will know. If you love one another. Boom. Man, that's like this deep, like, whoa, transcendent moment where Jesus tells us exactly what it means to be one of his followers. Then in verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, hey, Lord, where are you going? Jesus had just said, now where I'm going, you cannot go. Now, let me tell you the most important thing I'm ever going to say to you. And then Peter's like, but where are you going? I want to go. Don't leave me behind. You're not going to take my brother Andrew, right? Because if he's going, I'm going, you know? He says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied again, where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Meaning, hey, Peter, I just want you to know this is a prophecy. You're gonna die in the same way that I'm dying for the things that we believe. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the night is over, you will disown me three separate times. Jesus makes it very clear what it means to be a disciple. You can define and redefine and misdefine Christian however you want to, and I, as your pastor, will never fight with you over it. You can say, oh, this is the Christian thing to do, and I will never argue with you over it because the Bible never tells us what the Christian thing to do is. But if you say, I am a follower of Jesus, then the mark, the thing that matters, the thing that will tell us whether or not, and tell you whether or not you are serious in following Jesus or whether or not you just wanna be a Christian. The difference maker is the love that you show to the people around you. That's what matters. Love marks the difference between religion and relationship. Christians have religion, but disciples, followers, they have love and they have a relationship with the God of all love. Love marks the difference between those things. You can be a Christian and not have love. You know some of them. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and not have love leak out of every single pore in your body. 
That is what it means to follow him. Top to bottom, front to back, genuine, sincere love. Biblical, godly, Christ-like love for every last woman, boy, and girl on this planet. That's what Jesus invites you to. Maybe you've, you notice here, I'm going to point this out real quick. You notice here, Peter was thinking in terms of religion and not relationship right? He really was. He was thinking in terms of Christian and not follower. Jesus is telling him the most important thing you need to love. Love needs to just leak out of everything. It needs to be key and fundamental to who you are as one of my followers. And then Peter is trying to prove how much he loves, trying to prove his devotion and his Christianity, if I could use that word. He's trying to prove it in all the wrong ways. He's like, Jesus, I'm so devoted to you. I've got so much passion and zeal. He, was, he like wanted answers. When all the other disciples were quiet, they weren't asking questions. Peter's like, give me information. I need to know more, Jesus. Where are you going? Why is it that we can't go, right? He's like leaning on the fact that he was one of the first guys to ever follow Jesus. He was an OG disciple. Like from the very beginning, he walked after Jesus and he's leaning into that. He's like, I've been with you since the beginning. How can you tell me now after all these years, I can't go where you go. You, I've been following you for three years. He's leaning into all the wrong things to prove his faith in God. And Jesus is saying, Peter, it's not that that stuff is unimportant but it's certainly not most important. The most important thing is that you go to church? No. Give money in the offering plate? No. Claim the name of Christ? No, not necessarily. Wear a Christian t-shirt? Please don't. The most important thing, the most important thing is that you love one another the way that Jesus loved his disciples. You've said to yourself, I don't want to be a Christian. Not interested in that. I've seen Christians with their picket signs and their bullhorns. My aunt's a Christian and she treats my cousin so poorly. I would never, ever sign up for anything like that. Cool. You got the right heart then to be a follower of Jesus. Because what it comes down to with him is your willingness to love and serve the world around you. This is not hippie love. This is not everything goes love. It's okay if you're happy, I'm happy. No, that's not what it is. It's true, genuine love that seeks the good of the world around you. That sort of love should be the mark of a Christian. Hey, what do you think would happen if you went into your office every single day and your one goal beyond like your job description, you know, the things that you have to do in order to get your paycheck. If your one goal beyond that was to really, truly, genuinely love the people in your office at your job site, what if that was your goal? What if you sincerely, what if you extravagantly, what if you unconditionally loved the people next to you, even that chicken HR you can't stand? Every one of them, I don't know that anybody will become a Christian because of that. I, I can't say that. I think it has the power to do that. I really do. But I know for a fact that people will look at you differently than they look at other people. Your boss will say, I, I don't believe what he believes, but I'll tell you this, 
if he is representative of all Christians, I'll hire every single one of them I can get. I would love to have them as employees because they're honest, they're hardworking, and they seem to put the needs of others above their own. If you're a boss and you've got employees and you boss your employees, you manage them the way that you should, your employees might say, I don't know that I believe everything he does, but I am so glad to work for somebody who has the attitude and the perspective that he or she does. If you were to love your wife so fully and completely and ridiculously that your neighbor looked at your relationship and said, I don't know, I don't believe what they believe, but gosh, I sure hope someday somebody loves my daughter the way that he loves her. That sort of love has the power to change and transform has the power to change and transform your life, your marriage, your career, your faith and relationship with God, your neighborhood and our world. It genuinely can do that. This week, I'm gonna rat on myself here for just a sec. This week, I was having a bad week. It's been a stressful week for old Pastor Dan. He's had a lot going on. And I was just having a bad day. I was grumpy around the house. There were a bunch of chores I needed to do and I was putting them off. And Amber was like, hey, are you gonna do the dishes? You know, they've been piling up and I've done them three times as you've done them once. And in our house, we generally split the labor pretty evenly. I'm not telling you that's how your house needs to run. That's just what works for us. And so uh, I let it go. I was just so busy, so stressed, so much going on. And I started snapping at Amber. I I started acting like a grumpy, grouchy jerk. I was not very loving towards my wife. And in that moment, I I don't know that she did this consciously. This may just be who she is. In that moment, she could have responded in kind. She could have said, hey, dude, listen, I'm busy too. I'm busy and I'm doing all this work. You need to do your part, pull your weight, do your jobs, right? She could have done that. And instead, I went downstairs in a fit, started working, probably putting together this sermon. I'm working downstairs. (laughs) And I come back upstairs and the entire house was clean. It was my turn to clean and she did the whole thing. Now she might've just been frustrated and tired of it, okay? But in that moment, I was confronted with something. My wife loved me deeply, passionately, sincerely to the point that she would not fight for her rights to the point that she would not demand justice to the point that she would say, I'm gonna show love and grace in this circumstance instead. And I was floored. I mean, it just, I, the rest of the day, oh, sweetie, I love you so much. You're the best. I, it transformed me. It changed the atmosphere. That sort of love has the power to transform every atmosphere you find yourself in. Can you imagine if Christians had just gotten this right? If we had loved, if that's what we were known for, instead of being known for our morals or our judgment or our good deeds or the fact that we go to church or the fact that we don't watch those things, if we were known for our love, if that was the defining mark of Connect Church, we would transform this city. It doesn't matter if this theater is half full. If every single one of us would spend a few days loving lavishly, we would see genuine transformation. Because Jesus didn't come to give you religion. He didn't come to invite you to become a Christian. He invites you to be one of his followers, his disciples, and the defining mark of being a follower of Jesus, whether or not you genuinely love the people.